And praise the Lord. Well, turn with me, if you will, this morning to Malachi chapter 4. Almost every time I talk about fathers and Father's Day, there are certain things I like to touch on and cover because of the importance that fathers play, not only in our lives individually, but in our nation as well. And I always feel like I need to say this because because of the absence of father, fatherhood in our nation, because of uh, many people abdicating that role, we know that there are many, many heroic single moms who've raised children and done a tremendous job. And so we don't want to say anything that undermines the importance of that role that they've played in the lives of their children. But to neglect to talk about the importance of fatherhood would also be uh, a mistake. Because again, one of the problems we're seeing in our nation, and the statistics bear it out, is the absence of true fathers stepping up into the role that God has given them. So we want to talk a little bit about fathers and also appreciate the role that they play in our culture, in our society, and, and particularly in the church as well. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here the prophet says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. These are the very last words of the Old Testament. And after that, there was about 400 years of silence before John the Baptist came. And in fact, John the Baptist is credited for being the fulfillment of this prophecy. But it's interesting that this prophecy says that God will send this ministry which will heal the breach between father and son before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is oftentimes a, another way of saying the second coming of the Lord. So I believe there's still a work of this to be done in our generation. And I doubt anybody would deny that we need the wisdom of the fathers being invested into this generation. It's very obvious that our children are inheriting a society where men are seeking to redraw the lines of morality to suit themselves. God is always a God that promotes connection. The devil, obviously, is the author of division. But God promotes connection on every level. Connection between people. Connection between countrymen, obviously. Connection between family members. And certainly, connection between believers. But as we said, the devil is the author of division. We can certainly see how that's playing out on the national stage today. I think it goes without saying that we're more divided than we've ever been before. Religiously, racially, politically, domestically, in our families. And the sad thing is, we want God speaking into our lives. We want His voice speaking into our lives. But so much of the time, the way God speaks to us is through our connections. I'm just going to list a number of kinds of ways in which we connect with people and how God speaks into our life through these different relationships. Number one, of course, connections in the local church. I'm just going to read a few verses. I'll just quote them for you. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 of the New Living Translation says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encouraging one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. How many of you know we need the collective encouragement we provide one another in the faith? It's very difficult to live a life of, of a believer in any kind of authentic way without the connections and relationships that we have in the local church. So number one, connections in the church. Number two, closely associated with that, would be the connections we have through believing friends. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is a mouthful, but I love the scripture for a lot of different reasons. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you get that? Do I need to diagram that sentence? Basically, it says this, that whatever we've been through, whatever dark hole we came out of, whatever dark season God brought us through, we can take the wisdom that God ministered to us in that season and communicate that to those going through a like difficult time. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life when going through a dark moment, it wasn't a professional counselor or the insightful you know, professional. It was just a friend who could empathetically identify with something I was going through and ministered an encouraging word. In fact, there's a great verse in Romans 15:14 uh, that says this. Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That word admonish literally means to counsel one another. It's the Greek word nuthea. And it's actually a form of counseling, nuthetic counseling. And we as believers, because of what we know through our, through our experience with the Word of God and through our journey walking with God, there are things that we have, things that we carry, particularly those of us that have a few years on us, a few gray hairs that we've earned along the way, that we can impart to others going through a difficult season. I think it's a tragedy that oftentimes people are seeking, particularly in the church, seeking help from professional counselors who have maybe a dubious relationship with biblical foundations, rather than going to authentic relationships with other believers who can counsel them in the light of God's Word. Now, I'm all for professional Christian counselors, but oftentimes I've heard of counsel coming into the church that have no basis in the Scripture itself. And of course, that's not going to ultimately provide the answers that we're looking for. I think this is a missing ingredient in the lives of many believers. I could share so many instances with you as a young believer and as a young minister where it was a friend simply speaking empathetically into my life that got me over a hump. I'll never forget one time I was going through a real battle, just the devil assaulting my mind and trying to undermine my confidence. And I had a minister friend who happened to be preaching for me at the time. And this was kind of a personal thing. It didn't have anything to do with personal sin or anything like that, but just a challenge. And uh, I opened up to him and shared that with him. And he kind of just dismissively said, oh yeah, I went through that. It was just the devil. <laughs> and, and somehow, just knowing that I wasn't alone in that, that other people had experienced something similar, maybe, oh, thank God, I'm not a freak. Have you ever just felt like, you know, I've got an exotic thing that nobody else has ever been through. This is something unique to me, and I'm just totally incapable of getting through it. Well, that's not true. If you've ever been tempted, tested, or tried in any area, there's some brother or sister probably closer to you than you realize who's gone through the same thing, who can speak an encouraging word to you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 in today's English version says, every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. You hear that? Normally comes to people. You're normal. Aren't you glad to know that you're normal? You're not some exotic weirdo because you went through that test or trial, right? So it normally comes to people, but God keeps His promise, and He will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, He will give you the strength to endure it so that you, so that, uh, a, uh, and will provide you a way out. You know, again, sometimes the devil wants us to make, make us feel that we're in something unique, that what we're experiencing right now, nobody else has ever gone through before, uh, and that that's, that's just simply not true. There are others who've gone through it and can speak a word of encouragement to help you out. I'll never forget a friend of mine one time, again, another test I was going through, and I haven't really shared it with anybody. It was during a season of transition in my life. And a very difficult season of my life. And I really hadn't opened up to anyone. And I was carrying what I didn't realize was an extremely heavy load. And one day I was at my pastor's house. He was also a very close personal friend. And I just began opening up to him and sharing what I was going through. And, and I was kind of into my story, you know what I mean? I hadn't really even looked at his eyes. And when I finally looked at him, he had these huge crocodile tears coming down his cheek for me. 
And he simply rose up out of his chair, no words of counsel, simply came over and laid his hands on my shoulder and began to pray. And I'm telling you, I felt a heaviness lift off my life that day. And it just broke that asunder. But it was just the connection that I had with a believing friend, a believing brother. That's why the Bible said, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm telling you, we need these connections with our local church, with believing friends, and through family connections. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.5, New Living Translation. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know uh, that the same faith continues strong in you. Thank God, you know, this is Father's Day. But this principle of inheriting the faith of those who've gone before is true whether it's a mother, a father, a grandparent. Many of us are here today because of the generations that have gone before us that left a legacy of faith. And like Timothy, I'm no original. Uh, I was thinking the other day, we were singing Blessed Assurance. And it always brings back a memory. Every once in a while, something will trigger this memory of me being an, I mean, an infant. I mean, I was under three years old. I can't tell you exactly how old I was, but I was under three. In my mother's lap, in an old green rocker at the house, and her singing to the tune of Blessed Assurance to me. And that was the inheritance that I had from a child growing up in church, growing up in the faith, growing up with people who loved God. And I'm so thankful for that rich inheritance that my mother passed on to me, on to my sisters. They were both married to ministers. All of us ended up in the ministry. And uh, a lot of that had to do with the legacy that my mother and my father left to us. So important that we leave that legacy to our children as well. And of course, now I've passed on that legacy to my kids. And so I've got kids that are serving in the ministry, going to church, loving Jesus. You know, there's nothing greater in my heart today than knowing that my kids, you know, flush or famine, much money or little money, they all love Jesus, right? We're all going to go through different challenges, but if they go through that challenge with Jesus, I know they're going to come out on the other side. And so I'm so thankful today uh, that as my kids reached out to me and offered, you know, happy Father's Days to me this morning, I know that they're on their way to church, that they're loving Jesus, that they're continuing in the faith, they're continuing in that legacy that's been passed on to them. I think it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children. That's what Lois and Eunice gave to Timothy, and that's what we can give to our children and our grandchildren, whether we're a father, a mother, a grandfather, or a grandmother. You know, there's been such an attack on our culture, on the family and our culture. There have been efforts, of course, to diminish it, to redefine it, and oftentimes family leaders who would really match the biblical model of a strong father are considered by our society to be misogynist authoritarians. And today what people really want to do with uh, away with is any kind of fatherhood or manliness. One of the things I hate seeing portrayed on sitcoms or television is that, you know, kind of stupid, dim-witted father who's always five steps behind the rest of his family. There's a reason why that's being communicated to us through the media. There's this desire to downplay the importance of the role of the father. He's always portrayed as a step behind, kind of confused, not sure what his family's up to, rather than being a strong leader, you know, leading people in the way of the Lord. Again, too prevalent in our society is the damage done by fatherlessness. So I'm going to read you, like I do every year, some statistics, updated statistics that will give you an idea. And again, I want to say thank God for those single moms who filled in the role, who stepped in when the father wasn't there, who abdicated his position of responsibility. But nevertheless, it's, it's undeniable. I was... I mean, this morning, because it was Father's Day, popping up on my newsfeed left and right were statistic after statistic of the damage that's been done due to fatherlessness in our nation. So just listen to a handful 
of these statistics. This comes from a blog called A Fatherless Generation. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. Uh, in education, children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are likely to get A's in school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the average. Listen to this when it comes to drug and alcohol abuse. Researchers at Columbia University found that children living in two-parent households with a poor relationship with their father are, two, are 68% more likely to smoke, drink, or use drugs compared to all teens in two-parent households. Teens in single-mother households are at 30% higher risk than those two-parent households. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. I can give you the data and statistics of where all these stats come from. Just a few more. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. 90% of homeless and runaway children are fatherless homes. 80% of rapists, again, motivated with displaced anger, come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of adolescent repeat arsonists live with only a mother. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, and on and on and on the statistics go. And I think it's very obvious that if you look at society today, it's a leaderless society. People kind of making things up on their own. That strong generation who left the standards of righteousness is often vacant in homes. So kids are left to figure it out on their own. So what do they do? They find surrogate parents, hence gangs and other kinds of, you know... Um, Places of belonging that they find, you know, whether it's drugs or whatever else, replace the position of the father. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. So why are fathers so important? Number one, because we learn by example and imitation long before we learn any other way. Long before I ever read a book or a statistic about fathers or fatherlessness, I was wearing boots as a boy because my daddy did. I'll never forget, my dad, you know, he always wore boots and would always tell me, Randy, now boots are a lot more comfortable than those tennis shoes you wear. And I always thought he was crazy until I got older and started wearing boots. And I thought, you know, he's actually, he actually knew a thing or two. But I remember as a kid, my dad wore boots, so I wore boots. I remember going to church in my little black and red and white spotted boots because my daddy wore boots. And because I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And oftentimes that's what we see is kids want to follow in their father's footsteps. I've got a piece of paper that my son is embarrassed that I kept. But when he was a little guy, my youngest son, he's talking about what he wants to be when he grows up. And the last thing on the list, I want to be a preacher like my daddy's a preacher. And, and those things are precious to us. But why are they saying that? It's not because he knows the ins and outs of the ministry. It's because that's what his daddy does. And he wants to be like his daddy. By the time we're eight years old, much of our fundamental programming is already set. So our father is the first role model of manhood that children ever have. Sometimes, of course, it's an uncle or a grandfather. But whoever it is will have a fundamental impact on how that child comes to define the role of a man in this world and come to understand the heart of Father God. 
There's a lot of people who can't connect with God because when they think of Father, it's not a positive image. It's something that creates fear or insecurity. I was listening to a comedian the other day and he said, I've always loved magic ever since I was a little kid and my dad disappeared. <laughs> it's like, you know, he was making a joke of it, but how tragic is the reality of that in our society today? Amen? Proverbs 4, uh, chapter uh, verses 11 and 12 said this, and this is, this is the Father speaking to the Son. He said, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. I want you to notice this. He didn't just teach him, but he led him. He set a pattern of behavior for his son to imitate. And that's exactly what children do. They, they imitate uh, the image of the son following in his father's footsteps. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, every one of us are leaving footprints for the generation that's going to follow us. Now, I think there's a huge silver lining here that despite the fact that there is great fatherlessness in our nation, this is a vacuum in which many times Christian mentors can step in and fill. People in the church can step in and be that father figure to maybe a child who's lacking that male role model. But I think, you know, when it comes to children, they're the easiest to reach. Again, a statistic that's been consistently true for years and years, 85% of those who come to faith do so before they graduate high school. So if we want to evangelize our world, let's reach them when they're young. When they're looking for answers, when they're looking for leadership in their lives. So number one, uh, uh, fathers set that example uh, because they give us something to imitate. Number two, fathers represent boundaries. They represent the standards that God has set for us. Now I know every home is different, and not every father is the primary discipline, primary disciplinarian. But we've all heard that mom, exasperated mom, say, "You wait till your father gets home." I remember I would, when I would travel, you know, and I would be away from my family for two, two and a half, three weeks, and I'd come home, and there would be that, wait till your father gets here. And I thought, I don't want to be the heavy, I just walked in the door. But there's something about that father that represents that authority that God has established in the earth. And the Bible speaks of three levels of authority that he's established. Spiritual authority within the church, domestic authority within the home, and of course, civil or domestic authority in our nation. One of the qualifications for being a leader of God's people is that you be a good father. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 says, one of the qualifications, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? In a very real way, the church is a family. And long before I was a physical father, I was a pastor. And I remember even when I was 17 years old, preaching in places, and because I preached the Word of God, and because I represented that authority to the people, I had folk coming up to me and saying, would you counsel with my son or my daughter in their marriage? I think I'm 17 years old. You don't want me counseling anybody. Uh, but at the same time, because of the perception of that pastor being the father of a spiritual family, and the Bible says that if he's going to be the father of a spiritual family, he needs to be able to father his own family as well. I think our parents' generation understood this far better than we do today. One of the biggest attacks against the family, as we said in our culture today, is the emasculating of men, the emasculating of fathers, stripping them of their rightful place in the family dynamic as its leader. And all of this is done in the name of freedom, of kind of shrugging off authoritarian you know, um, systems that are not relevant for today. But we need to understand this, that in the absence of fathers, our nation is literally falling apart at the seams. It's not just a rejection of fatherhood, it's a rejection of the authority that God has established to make the family work, and hence our nation work as well. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight says, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. There's something about those um, 
landmarks, those, those pillars that God has placed in society that keep us on track, that give us perspective, that know, help us know um, where to stand and what to do. And then lastly, fathers leave a legacy. They have a huge role in God's plan. I did a little bit of word search on the word fathers in the Bible. It's found 502 times. It's interesting that God is known as the God of generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I submit to you, He would have never been the God of Jacob if He had not been the God of Abraham and Isaac. Because that was passed on. That lineage, that heritage was passed on from father to son. He is a God of fathers. We pass on more than just a family name. We pass on more than just a family business. We leave a spiritual legacy through our leadership. And you know, every father is a leader whether he wants to think of himself or of that or not. Because again, leadership is just strictly influence. And all fathers have influence for good or for ill. If our children are going to have the right spiritual foundation, it's going to have to be passed on to them from someone. And I think all of us desire for our children to be able to go further and do more than we were ever able to do. And for that to take place, we have to leave them that legacy, that spiritual heritage, that foundation upon which they can build. The Bible says in Acts 2.17, It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I believe it's the young people that have vision for the future that fulfill the dream of the fathers. I remember when I was, you know, pioneering some works up in New England. And my son, who's now, in fact, right now as we speak, he's in Brazil uh, on his first anniversary, and they just left Bolivia the other day. And uh, he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to go out and start other churches, you know, under, under, this, under this church. You know, I want to be the extension, in other words, of the vision that God originally gave you. And I think that that is going to be true of this generation. They're going to go and extend what we've left them. And so the question to ask ourselves is, what are we leaving this generation to build on? Now, you know, we can't necessarily cure all the world's ills. And that's not necessarily our responsibility. But what we can do is take care of our own house, right? We can take care of the influence that we're giving to our families, to our children. We can leave a legacy. And indeed, it is our responsibility to do so. I believe God wants the dream of the fathers and the vision of the sons to unite, causing this next generation to surpass anything we've ever done before. But if it's going to happen, it's going to be because we recognize the role that fathers have in our society, in the family, in the church, and leave a rich legacy for our children to follow. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have as dads, Father God, to not only love our children, but to leave an example, to leave those footprints in the sand that they can follow after. Father, we don't want to be absentee, Father God, in our responsibilities, be it in the church, to fill those roles that have been left, that have been vacated, or in our own lives, in our own families. We don't want to abdicate that position of responsibility and authority that you've given us as fathers to leave a legacy. To Father, to leave those footprints in the sand that our children can follow that will lead to you, to faith in Christ, and to a, a nation that's in a better position than it is today. Father, we know that revival is possible, but we know that today our responsibility is to plant trees under whose shade we will never sit. Father, for the other generation coming behind us, Father God, that we could leave a foundation that would serve well those coming after us. We pray that we would do that responsibility well, that we would live up to what you've called us to do and to be. We'll give you thanks and praise for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.